As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows on the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you're not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up today at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. And when you do, we might just shout out your name. So thanks this week goes out to new patrons, Jerry Tolbert, Steve Grand, and Ari Ramcharan. I probably butchered your name. I'm sorry, Ari. Uh, those are all the new people who signed up this week. Also, Ray Greenley upped uh, his pledge this week. And we thank everybody for your support, and I hope that next week I get to read your name right here. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, they drink the red, you turn white, and then blue, they're American vampires. And Ceno Man returns, Frank Herbert hits the big time in one really dumb hat. All that, plus the major spoiler squad doing verbal wind sprints, logistical long jumps, and other things that sound like exercise but really aren't because that would make me die. You see our hair is burning, eyes all filled with fire. If you say you don't dig podcasts, we know you are a liar because this is one and you're here. And the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 949. That's right. The next episode is going to be 950. Holy crap, you guys. We've been doing this for Mark a long... 1017. Been doing this for a long time, but we're happy to do that. Week after week, just for you. we got a lot of stuff to cover uh, this week in the show, so why don't we get to it with a little bit of news, Ashley? It has been a while since we have seen Brendan Fraser on the big screen, unless you watch HBO Max original movies, which he is all over, but according <laughs> to Variety... The actor has been tapped to play a villain, some would say Firefly, in the upcoming Batgirl movie opposite Leslie Grace. We don't know much about the Batgirl movie except that it will focus on Barbara Gordon. J.K. Simmons is returning to play her father, which we love, Commissioner Jim Gordon. Uh, and Batgirl is being directed by Adil L. RB. I'm so sorry for mispronouncing your name, and Bilal Falah, and is set to premiere on HBO Max in 2002. I am excited for the Fraser sons. This is good news. I think this is good for him. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's been pretty public in the last couple of years on why he quit acting. So it's good to see him come back. I don't think I've seen him on any of his, uh, would you say his streaming stuff that he's been on? He Ashley? was in, um, that Don Cheadle movie. What's that movie called? That was on HBO max. It was great. He played a gangster. He drove the car. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That you're right. The Steven Soderbergh movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. You're right. Um, yeah. He's also great. He's, he's, one of the best parts of Doom Patrol, which yes, like as someone who had a diehard crush on George of the Jungle, uh, <laughs> it's really lovely to have him back in yeah. the saddle being a badass. Yeah. Matthew, you have some thoughts. Yeah. I, the last thing I remember seeing him in before Doom Patrol was G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. And that was one of those things where he was in it for like 12 seconds as a cameo. So I am super psyched to see Frazier back. I actually showed a picture to my kid today. And because we've been watching a movie that keeps having character pop up that has the same jawline. And so they're like, hey, Brendan Fraser is doing this and that. But I showed them a picture of uh, actual Brendan Fraser. And, and they she's were like, like oh, that's not Niles. Old. And I'm like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, yeah, people get old. And then they were like, well, how old is he? And I'm like, be careful. He's the same age as your father. And now we're not speaking. But, uh, you know, my problems in the household notwithstanding, Brendan being back is awesome. Because I have seen 
enough of Doom Patrol to know that the fun parts are him and Matt Bomer, uh, who actually apparently aren't on the set, which makes me sad. Uh, oh. But the fun parts are him and Matt Bomer fighting back and forth. Yeah. All right. What else? Oh, we got, and that Matthew? sequence with uh, Danny the Street. But hey, uh, speaking of news, he said doing a Stephen transition. No, my transitions you- are good. That was a bad one. Are you sure? Yeah, especially when I said like 30 seconds ago, Matthew, what else do we got? What else do you got? 30 seconds is an eternity, man. That's how you get to Mars. Uh, we got Dune. Dune is a big deal. Dune hit to the moon. Dennis Villanueva brought Dune to the United States this week and brought in $41 million, uh, simultaneously released on the HBO Max. So it was in film theaters and it was in your house theater. The latest adaptation of the Frank Herbert book has generated already 220 million, give or take, around the world. So you may be saying to yourself, hey, when are we going to get Dune Part 2? Because you talk like Jerry Seinfeld. And the answer is soon-ish. Legendary Pictures tweeted today the sequel is greenlit with an expected date sometime in the fall of 2023. So more Dune is on the way. We had a lot of Dune talk in the Major Spoilers podcast pre-show, so you want to go see about that, Uh, specifically because there's two of us who uh, know very little about Dune, and so we pontificate for about 40 minutes about Dune. It's it's like that time that we did the top 10 moments of uh, Smallville from people who'd never watched Smallville. No, 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 not we. I've already seen all of Smallville. So anyway, Ashley, you have some thoughts on on Dune 2, Sand in your, in your underwear boogaloo. boogaloo. Steven. Yeah, my thought is that they didn't sign all these actors into a contract to come I back know, for two right? or three. So I don't so, know. I don't I'm know. Say right now, someone ain't coming back. I'm going to bet there's a uh, lot of people not coming that back. That first movie was very expensive. It's like 300 million plus advertising. So probably bring you up to around seven, all told. I don't know if they can afford to do it because um, everybody in that movie is a name. So, I mean, I hope they do, but just nice. like from a production standpoint, I don't know if I buy this 2023. Yeah. I don't, I, I, that was something that came out very late today about the 2023, yeah. about mid morning. That's when legendary said that they, they tweeted out that the sequel was on the way, but I, I want to know who was the person that decided not to film these back to back. I want to say it's Warner brothers, even though that this is a legendary pictures uh, decision to do this, but, um, well, to be fair, all the other adaptations of Dune are yeah, shoddy so. to bad. So yeah. but, I understand the reticence, but the, just with the sheer amount of money, like that's why a lot of streaming shows get at least two seasons because you spend all your money on season one and then you recoup it a little bit. Cause you've got mm-hmm. standing sets, you've got yeah. character design, stuff like that. Um, so one of the reasons so why we wouldn't do one of the two of them. Yeah. So I, I'm surprised. The only thing that I could hypothesize on was that. AT&T, which was overlording Warner Brothers at the time, said, no way are we putting up any money for back-to-backs because we need to be make mon- money, not lose money. But uh, people are wondering why why The Last Man was canceled in, in the first season, and it's because it was so long in production that the, the, um, the options contracts ran out on all the actors. And they were like, well, oh. we're not going to go and renegotiate all that stuff, so they just canceled the show. So, I actually, I think I agree with you. It's going to be really tough getting some of these people back considering that their popularity and their uh, dance card is getting really full with other roles, swimming yeah, in the ocean roles. How are we going to get the same baby to roles. play all if they don't start shooting until next year? <laughs> yeah. How are we, you know, Zendaya is going to be uh, so much more uh, busy and in demand uh, next year after this new Spider-Man movie drops. So uh, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, you mean Dr. I, Strange 1.5. Yes, exactly. I, no. I agree. I think fall 23 is, I think it's ambitious. Too soon. I don't even I think, think it's, it's written. I don't think it's written yet. So, yeah. What? Anyway, Dune. Dune was the written second, in 1965. No, no, the second, the second script. I don't think the part. Oh, that was written, written in 1969. Yeah, whatever. It's uh, still the second half of the first book. We're we're like we're not even at the halfway point of the first book. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, since the 1990s, we have been accustomed to publishers reprinting comics when there's a demand, sometimes even when there's not a demand. But because of the paper shortage that we've talked about previously on the Major Spoilers podcast, Image Comics has announced it will no longer publish second, third, and fourth printings of any title. In a letter to comic shop owners, Image Comics said, quote, in all caps, starting now and for the foreseeable future, there will be no second printings of any title. Please keep in mind. Uh, as you order, there will be limited stock available for reorders, and we will not be reprinting anything that sells through the distributor level. 
We are also adjusting the schedule of upcoming titles over the next few weeks to reflect a more responsible usage of raw material availability. So DC was first out of the block to say, hey, everybody, there's going to be delays. And then Marvel kind of said, eh, maybe, uh, you know, Marvel's been relatively quiet on their paper shortage issues. But it's interesting to see now every image and everybody else starting to come forward and say, we're not going to be able to deliver your comics on time, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, you kind of heard it here first at Major Spoilers on why that is. Uh, speaking of why that is, the only reason why we is here is because of you, our dear, dear listeners, and because you have thoughts and comments and feedback that you want to provide on these stories and a whole lot more. You can do that over on our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. Jump in the Major Spoilers chat. Jump in the general chat. Jump in the RPG chat. Jump in the Looking for Group chat or the Vigi Games, television, movies, a whole lot more. we got channels for a variety of different uh, topics that I know you want to go and talk in and share your thoughts in. But if you are a patron, patreon.com slash major spoilers, first of all, uh, listen to us uh, ramble on for 45 minutes about Dune. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then... uh, using your exclusive Patreon access, get access to secret channels where on Thursday night, you can listen to Matthew and I record uh, episodes of dueling review live just for you because you are our patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let us jump into some reviews and, um, Ashley, I think you have a book that is new this week from DC comics. Yeah. Today. I'm interested in this because Batman Long Halloween came out a long time ago. 25 years ago, according to the press release. But now um, we're getting more of it. I couldn't be bothered to crack my absolute and figure it out. So I trust (laughs) DC. They've never led me astray before and murdered my favorite Mm. character. It's going to be fine. Never, (laughs) never. Yeah, DC said, uh, hey, you keep talking smack about all our Batman titles. What if we gave you a Batman title? That's your favorite Batman story. And I said, concern it. You got me. I'm going to read this thing. <laughs> if you like, um, if like me, long Halloween or dark victory, I actually like dark victory better. I understand long Halloween is like objectively better, but it's the Robin with the pointy knees for me. Uh, thank you so much for blessing me with that, Tim Sale. Uh, then you're a real sucker. You're the mark for this. Uh, it is a $7.99 comic, which I know people are going to find immediately on reading. Uh, and in the style of Mr. Peterson, I will let you know that it is a 48-page comic. So Good. I think for the price, it's a little more reasonable. It's not your standard 20 and 2 ads. Uh, it literally follows up the events of the long Halloween, I guess, spoilers for a 25-some-odd-year-old story. Uh, exactly as they happen. It is Halloween. It is Gotham. The calendar man has a scheme. Batman has to take care of it. It's got Solomon Grundy in this one, which is neat because Solomon Grundy is a weird character who I think actually really works in the Loeb sale universe and their little pocket universe of DC comics. Also, how weird is it that Jeff Loeb is back writing at DC comics after he trash talked them when he was working for Marvel for so mm-hmm. long? I find that a little weird. I'm not unhappy about it, but when I saw this, I was like, surely this is just a reprint, and it's not. That's I had to I read a too. whole new book this week. Um, and I liked seeing Solomon Grundy. You also get a reprise and a revisiting um, of his wife, his lady wife, Miss Gilda, um, who is pretty interesting. This issue slots really well into this same continuity there's nothing super super surprising but what i liked about it it's like when you slip into your favorite pair of pajamas or your favorite like old hoodie you're like ah this is exactly what i wanted it to be or like why you order coffee from starbucks even though their coffee's only okay because it's the same every time so this gave me a warm hug amidst all of these flurry of batman titles that are being published right now and welcomed me back into a universe that I really like, one of my favorite comic book aesthetics, and made me go, I don't know, maybe this nostalgia thing, maybe she's not so bad. So I feel a little hoodwinked by this comic, honestly. Like, you know when you're being manipulated by advertising, and you're like, oh, I'm being manipulated by advertising. (laughs) Patreon.com slash major spoilers. Yeah. (laughs) We will also hug you via the Discord. (laughs) Uh, This one got me. I had a really good time reading it. It's not um, groundbreaking or earth shattering. Tim Steele's art. I love how gritty 
and like ugly Gotham is. And I mean the word ugly as the highest compliment. Like it is angles and structures and like weird shapes and who is scale? I don't know her. I I really loved (laughs) living in this world again for 48 pages. I can't wait for, I don't think this is an ongoing series. I think these are just going to pop up. I don't know. I couldn't be bothered to Google it. It's not an ongoing series. <laughs> I can't wait for more of it to come out. I'm sure it will be collected and I will someday buy it and it will sit next to my two absolutes. And I will go, that's a really tiny volume. And it looks weird crushed in between my two absolutes, but I'm this person and I will buy it and I have no choice. I'll buy it at the major spoilers, Amazon affiliate link. Oh. Uh, but I loved it. It was really fun. Four out of five slices of meatloaf. Very or good. More low and sale, long Halloween universe. If I would have, if I would have been paying attention to the, everything that everybody uh, was reading this week, I didn't think that 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 special was seven ninety nine. I would have had us review stuff in cheapest to most expensive. Uh, but instead, we're gonna flip. <laughs> we're gonna flip that around. That's funny. And then we're gonna go. We're gonna go back to Matthew. Matthew should have done his review first on uh, Gunslinger Spawn, a five ninety nine comic from Image Comics. <laughs> Which also happens to be out uh, today, uh, out this week from from Image Comics. So, Matthew, I know you've been dying for more Spawn in your life. So let us know all about the Gunslinger Spawn. We've already had King Spawn. We've already had regular Spawn. We've already had some supersized Spawn. But now we get Gunslinger Spawn. I think there's a Crusader Spawn coming. Oh, that's right. Medieval Spawn. Yeah. 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 So here's the deal. Uh, This $5.99 comic is double-sized. It is 40 pages uh, with like 10 pages in the back of what seemed to be, you know, back matter and pictures and flibbert flibberts. And as soon as I opened the book, I knew I was in trouble. Because uh, here's the thing. When you read a comic book, uh, there are certain bits and pieces that are occasionally just too distracting. It's like when you have when you have something stuck in your teeth. Let's say you eat a beef jerky and you get some beef jerky stuck in your teeth. And you know that you're going to be working on that beef jerky for the next six to eight hours, trying to get it out of your teeth because, you know, you have terrible teeth. Uh, this is, you know, specific to me. You may not have this problem. Some of you may come from Canada where they have socialized medicine. I don't know. Woo-hoo. But here's the deal. The thing about Gunslinger Spawn, as drawn by Brett Booth, is that he has the dumbest hat in the world. Uh, Gunslinger Spawn has a very tall hat. And depending who's drawing it... It can range anywhere from like a oh, it's a bat 10 ears. gallon hat. It's bat ears to like a full on uh, Abraham Lincoln like stovepipe thing going on. Yeah, uh, I don't know what you mean by the bat ears. I so everybody who ears. draws bat ears draws yeah. bat ears at different lengths, different heights. Right. So you get going back yes. to Ashley's Long Halloween with uh, Tim Sale, you get these the super long ears, and the thin. Ears, they're a foot and a half long. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you're doing like Jim Lee, you got these little stubby uh, bat ears. So uh, so mm-hmm. a Gunslinger Spawn's hat is Batman's bat ears. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and, you know, I, I have the same issues with it because this is uh, the cover of the issue. Uh, at least the cover that I have is really beautiful, drawn by Booth and uh, inked by McFarlane, the creator, who is supposedly the writer of this book. Uh, it says script plot Todd, and then it says additional plot script uh, from a different writer. But supposedly. Oh, I can tell by the timbre of your voice that you might doubt that. I do. There are actually three <laughs> stories in this issue with Gunslinger Spawn, who back in the day, by the way, uh, we called him Cowboy Spawn, and uh, we did that because why not? But uh, here's the thing about your Cowboy Spawn. He was in the Old West, so like the 18 – it's a nebulous region between 1870 and 1903. This issue opens with Cowboy Spawn, Gunslinger Spawn, on a motorcycle in what seems to be the year 2021. And he's riding his motorcycle, and it runs out of gas, and he's like, oh, no. What's going on here? And then he gets involved with a young man. Uh, there's a whole bunch of crimey, crimey stuff. And Gunslinger Spawn and this kid have to team up. And the kid actually buys him gas and explains what gas is and how it works in the motorcycle. Now, changing the time frame doesn't necessarily ruin this character. But as I said, stupid hat. And there is a really, really, uh, it's a moment that's, I think, supposed to be super awesome on page 12 or so. Where Gunslinger Spawn is like, I'm ready to do things. 
I'm sorry, he's Gunslinger Spawn. He's like, I'm ready to do things. This is how I survived. And he opens his coat, and his coat is filled with what are supposed to be a huge array of weapons. But drawn by Brett Booth, it's literally just silver circles. Um, Might as well be marital aids. And as this story goes on, it ends in a really weird place, and we cut to a completely different story, which takes place in the year 1864. And the 1864 story works a little better for me. Uh, different uh, art team on this one. I am not necessarily a fan of Brett Booth's work. Um, not necessarily a knock on Brett Booth. We've just, you know, never meshed. And a lot of the things that I've seen him draw just make me angry. But the second one feels more, you know, it's more moody. It's more kind of a almost a Russ Heath vibe. Feels very, you know, old Westy. But once again, no real attempt is made to give me a grounding in this first issue of why sometimes medieval, not medieval, Gunslinger Spawn is in 1864, sometimes he's in the future. Then we get to our third story, which takes place in what seems to be a completely different timeline. I'm not sure about this one either, but it's a story all about loading his weapons. So as the issue continues what it really feels like is kind of a almost a a gallery show of different takes on medieval spawn which if this was a one shot would be one thing but the way i understand it this is the first issue of a new ongoing series yep so when i look at this i'm like this is a terrible first issue This is just a really terrible, this is a bad first issue because the very first page immediately has a previously in to where you're like, oh, do I need to go back and buy Spawn's universe number one? And the answer is absolutely you do. And as you get through this first story, there's no explanation. There's not even, you know, a nod to medieval Spawn traveling in time, whatever's going on. And then you have these other stories that come in and one of them's really good. One of them's kind of fair to medium. And the other one is just like inexplicable. And all in all, you just put it all together and it's kind of a, a muddled mess. You know, even if I take into account the fact that my problems with Brett's booth are, art are almost certainly a matter of, you know, personal preference. He's not a terrible artist. He's just not an artist that I enjoy. So I wouldn't necessarily, you know, have picked this book up if it weren't for major spoilers. Thank you, Stephen. Hey, More you're welcome. Uh, please read, uh, uh, please read King Spawn and Medieval Spawn coming your way. And major spoilers, Matthew review. Yeah, we'll do what we do. We do the thing that we do and what we do, what we do. But here's, here's the real steel deal about Gunslinger Spawn. I, uh, am going to give it two slices of meatloaf because When I judge a first issue, it actually has three criteria. Is it a good comic? Maybe sort of yes. Is it a good first issue? Absolutely not. Is it a coherent chunk of storytelling? Maybe if you're familiar with the thing and the artists involved are wildly divergent. So it feels like four different characters in the four different stories. But all told, I feel like if you love Gunslinger Spawn, you can probably, you know, kick that up a notch and call it three Again, two slices of meatloaf from me. I don't know. I, 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 I might be willing to come back because the design of the character is interesting, but I also read Spawn for a while in the 90s and the 2000s, and my head still hurts, so it's hard to say. All right. Thank you for that. I want to keep it in kind of the old Westy time period, 1861. And if there's one thing that I, that I like a lot is detective stories. Mm-hmm. And I really like period detective stories before technology becomes a big hindrance to invest or a big aid to investigations, but a hindrance to good storytelling. Um, and so tales of the Pinkerton detective agencies always fascinate me to no end. And I've read, you know, the histories of some of the best uh, of the greatest Pinkertons uh, that ever lived. And many, many, many years ago, probably about five years ago now, I stumbled across the tale of Kate Warren, who was the very first female detective in the world, hired by the Pinkertons, uh, hired by uh, Alan Pinkerton himself. And 
the reason why she got hired was because Pinkerton believed that women were able to not be seen. That at the time period, men just dismissed women out of hand. They would tell their mistresses, you know, uh, anything in bed. If the women were around, they would speak because women, you know, they're nobodies is kind of the general idea about women uh, back then. And, you know, depending on who you are, that's kind of how men treat women today. Uh, And so what ended up happening is Kate Warren actually went and applied for a position with the Pinkertons and, and Alan Pinkerton really, really liked her a lot. And um, and hired her to be a detective and then to lead up as the years went on to lead the female uh, detective portion of the Pinkerton agency. And they were very, very successful. And you may be thinking to yourself, I've never heard of this person in my life. And it's true. You probably have not heard of Kate Warren until I stumbled upon her, like I said, five years ago. uh, I wouldn't would not have even known that this person existed or that they had female detectives back in the day. You have to remember that at the time that uh, Kate was hired by the Pinkertons, the Pinkerton and before the Civil War, the Pinkertons had more agents. uh, And when I say agents, I don't mean just detectives. I mean, like goon squad type guys. They had a larger standing army than the United States had in the 1860s. And so, you know, if you have the the. You know, the largest kind of standing army, you're going to want to try to get them to do things. And what happened in 1861 is a railroad owner out of Baltimore hired the Pinkertons to investigate secessionist uh, activities in and around the area because he was afraid that his railroad was going to get blowed, blowed up real good. And so Pinkerton, uh, among other people, put Kate in a position in Baltimore to kind of weed out secessionist and Through her investigation, she uncovered a plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln uh, before his inauguration. So basically, he was doing a a train tour, and it was supposed to go through Baltimore and supposed to stay overnight, and they were supposed to have a party for uh, for him and everything, and then he was supposed to go uh, uh, on the next day and get uh, inaugurated. And she uncovered this plot. And so working with the Pinkertons and working with Abraham Lincoln— she escorted Lincoln through the railroad, the portion of the railroad uh, journey that was going to be very dangerous. And they put Lincoln into disguise, made him like this old man who was uh, sick. So he had to cover his mouth with a scarf. Uh, you know, if you're sick, well, wearing a scarf or a mask over your face uh, could help you. And if people are trying to assassinate what? you, a mask might even help more. They knew this in 1860. And Catherine uh, Warren, uh, uh, Kate Warren, uh, played uh, his his sister, his older sister. And so she was able to safely escort him to his destination. So she saved the president's life. There are some questions about whether there was a plot against Lincoln or not. Many people claim that Pinkerton was trying to get a cushy government contract and um, may have made this stuff up to get Lincoln to sign the Pinkertons on. And I believe, and I'm, I, I believe the Pinkertons uh, may be a little vague on this, eventually became a portion of the, the Pinkertons became the secret service to protect the president at the time. Uh, so there was, there's some controversy on whether this was an actual plot or not, but the fact that Kate Warren was a part of this is very, very fascinating that this is a woman who was able to get this close to the president and potentially save his life is a fascinating tale. And that is what's going on in this week's better angels, a Kate Warren adventure from Jeff Jensen and George Shaw from uh, Boom Studios. It's the most expensive book you're going to buy this week. Uh, it is 1999. dollars uh, It's a full-size graphic novel in, in its story. This would have easily been a six-part series had they decided to release it uh, as individual issues, but I'm glad they released it as a single volume. So not only does this uh, book recount her uh, abilities to weed out the secessionists and save Lincoln's life and that whole big thing, because that's where she kind of got her big start, but the book also investigates some of Kate's early life. Um, that is part, that's stuff that's a little bit more vague to me. And some of the people that uh, Jensen puts into this book, I am not super familiar with and just casual cur- uh, uh, searching on the, uh, on the internet. I've not been able to really find their names. And in fact, if you go uh, and look up Kate's history, you're not going to find very much online. Uh, you're going to find a few very generic tales of her, most of them around the Lincoln assassination plot. So because this is a bio comic and because people aren't, weren't there and 
and we don't know what characters were actually saying things. This gets into the biopic part of bio comics or, or uh, biopics, uh, biopics for me is that there is a, some slanting of story going on and that's just natural, right? You want to portray the person as somebody great and wonderful and all these things. And so I think that there's a little bit of that going on in this tale. Um, really the only information I think you can find is in Pinkerton's, um, diaries and whatever the Pinkerton agency has released. There's very little information about, uh, Kate that's found. That being said, I thought that this was a wonderful story. I thought that for everything that I know about Kate, that is portrayed accurately in this book, uh, for people that are wanting something to inspire young women to stand up for themselves, to be creative, to be inventive, to take us, you know, to uh, go out and do things when other people are telling them not to. I think that this is a great book. Uh, and so I really think that this is a book you should buy. I think this should be on, on, um, you know, school libraries. Uh, I think every, every school should have a copy of this somewhere in, in their book reading section, like bio section. Uh, I think that this is, is really a, a good book, but I do question some of the editorializing aspects and the creative storytelling aspects to make the story interesting. That's the stuff that kind of falls apart for me. The other thing that, uh, so from this, from this book, Better Angels, I really give it four slices of meatloaf out of five. The art is great. The storytelling is great. It does jump back and forth in time to tell the story of Lincoln and Kate and just Kate's history. So that can be a little confusing, I think, for some younger readers. But I think it does a pretty good job in saying, here's the date and the time and here's what's going on. Uh, some of the the tales that we find from Pinkerton's books, uh, personal books and from the agency, have some fascinating stories that I think are kind of portrayed in here. Uh, so I think this is a really good book. And I think people, I actually, I think if you haven't read this, I think you will find uh, that this is a very fun book. And I think for someone who is, uh, who, who writes about young heroines uh, in, in your tales, in your comic books, I think you will enjoy this uh, quite a bit. I purchased it while you were talking. About oh, there you go. It's, it's really good. Uh, hopefully you <laughs> use that uh, comiXology Amazon affiliate link that we have there in the show notes. And you can, a little bit comes back our way, but it doesn't cost you anything extra. Still going to cost you $19.99 through that. Good price, though, for a whole book. Yeah. So there is only, so if you go and look up Kate Warren right now, you're going to find two potential pictures of her. One of them is like a portrait picture. And I don't think that that's an actual picture of her. If you look, it says it's a watercolor. So I believe that's a painting of her that someone made of her. The other picture that you can find, if you can find a picture of Kate Warren, is when she is like in Civil War military garb. Uh, she's kind of a very um, masculine person, right, uh, in her appearance, but very kind of plain. Nothing really stands out from her. She seems like a really cool person. I would have liked to have known her, I think. Um, there is some there is some weirdness in her story that I have not been able to suss out anywhere. So. When Kate died, so remember Alan Pinkerton, Alan Pinkerton hired her as the first female detective. When she died, she was buried in the Pinkerton plot next to Alan Pinkerton and his wife. I have not been able to find anything that says that Pinkerton was any kind of a polyamorous relationship Uh, or Uh, that. Yeah, or that or that he was having an affair with her uh, or anything like that. So her burial place is probably the most fascinating part of the story that I have yet seen explored anywhere. And I would like to know yeah, more in about 1856. That. They would not be able to come out and say polyamorous. No, 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 no. But, you know, just <laughs> but just no, I think there I mean, uh, you know, there's whole questions about Lincoln and, uh, you know, other things uh, that that was going on with Lincoln and his, I believe, his secretary. Um, well, we also know, I mean, much later, but the Mortons, even though polyamory was not a thing, right. were like very famously polyamorous. Right, right, right. So I'm just, I'm very curious to find out if there's anything anywhere that would indicate what was going on there. Because otherwise it's just like, hey, this woman walks in off the street. She's hired to be a detective. She goes and saves the president's life. And then later on in life, she quit being a detective. I mean, she didn't like die a, a, a detective. She retired. But then you, you find out that she's buried at the same, you know, right next to Pinkerton or right behind his grave or whatever. You can go and find some pictures of that online as well. 
I just find that the most fascinating part of the story. It's not that none of that stuff is talked about in this book. So if that's something that suddenly has you grasping at your at your pearls and going, not for my child, first of all, grow up. Second of all, uh, go pick up <laughs> Better Angels from Boom Studios. I have literally, since they announced this over a year ago, I have been anxiously awaiting the release of this book. And I got to tell you, I'm very satisfied with what I've read. It's, I think, a very accurate representation of everything that I know about the character. And so uh, uh, I, I recommend this highly. So four out of five slices of meatloaf. Art is is charming Ooh. as well. So there's there's an Elvis thing going on. Oh, yeah. Her, is that a- her name is misspelled on her headstone? <sighs> yeah. yeah. So there's some some other things that are going on uh, there as Ooh. well. Right. So it's eerie, man. Uh, maybe. Um, but anyway. That is that is it for the reviews uh, as far as individual issues go. If you want some more reviews, make sure you head over to Majorspoilers.com. That's where we have all of the reviews that you want. If you want to hear us yeah. talk about, uh, uh, lamely talk about uh, Dune, if you want to talk about uh, my kids uh, losing soccer, if we want to get some yeah. insight on the uh, the magical uh, acting of one Ashley Victoria Robinson, you need to yep. check out the Major Spoilers pre-show. Uh, honestly, if you're not a patron, you're missing out on some fascinating discussions. And, uh, honestly, I would play it in this order. I would play pre-show and then just without even jumping to another show, just roll it right into the next show. I mean, literally we are the champions into, we will rock you. We don't even stop recording. We go from one right to the other and I edit it in post, but, uh, that's the best way that you can literally take out about 10 seconds of 10, 10, maybe, maybe 10 seconds. if, If that. But it's literally rolling one right into most the other. most weeks. You can still hear me being mad at Steven from the pre-show during he's the never mad at major spoilers <laughs> podcast. If he's mad, that's if that's you, his. If own you thing. listen closely, you can hear the steam coming out my ears. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some trade paperback stuff this week. Um, I, for some reason, we ended up uh, looking at two volumes of American Vampire, and I think yeah, I'm mostly not sure why you did that. I don't know either, except that we had done volume one a long time ago and I figured, oh, we might as well get through like the main story arc, the first uh, 18 issues of our main protagonist, um, uh, Pearl. Okay. And so that her story kind of ends at a point in issue 18 of American Vampire. And so I said, ah, let's just uh, go ahead and do volumes two and three uh, together without realizing that volume three also had a five issue story that uh, (laughs) survival of the fittest that uh, kind of continued on uh, some things that, yeah. have, that happened in, in previous issues. So volume two. And now, again, we read volume one of American Vampire like four years, years ago. ago. It felt like maybe four years ago, like 2019, I want to say, is when we when reviewed uh, volume one. So it's been okay. a while. I went back and reread volume one just to refresh myself, which I, apparently I'd forgotten a lot of stuff that happened. So volume, you read three volumes. I read three volumes in a single day. It wasn't bad. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I found I find this story compelling in a way. And I don't know how you, Ashley, or you, Matthew, feel about the Scott Snyder vampire creations that he has has done in these books. Ashley, what do you think about these vampires? Are you a vampire fan? I was a vampire fan when I was younger. And then maybe three years ago. Uh, Mr. Jason Emmon pointed out to me that vampirism is basically a rape metaphor, and I've struggled with it hmm. ever since. Yeah, Rodrigo, um, if he were here, he would talk about it as an allegory for um, sexual disease. No, just rape. Yeah. Just straight up rape. Um, <laughs> which is what I think we find so charming about what we do in the shadows, because it's like the it's antithetical to all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I will say I have read um, I've read like five or seven volumes of um, American Vampire previously. And what's been fun about doing this for the show is I didn't retain a single bit of them. Yeah. Um, so when I reread this, I was like, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. So the f- um, I think Scott Snyder's vampire stories that go back to your original question mm-hmm. um, are pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think the series is better when he has a, a story collaborator though, I think it's stronger mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. beginning than where it winds up. Yeah. Matthew, what about you? Are you a fan of the vampire uh, genre or Scott Snyder's vampires in particular? I don't know. I've never considered vampires as a separate uh, 
thing uh, of the horror genre, but I'm a big fan of, you know, comics with a, a horror undertone or things that have, you know, a kind of things that go on in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I've even seen some underworld movies. So I like a vampire story for a couple of things. A lot of times, especially back, you know, before the huge boom of superhero movies, it was about the only place that you'd see a character with, honest to Pete superhuman powers wandering right. around a story, right. you know, because, Hey, vampire, he can have yeah, you're, e- you're eating maggots, Michael, you're eating yeah. maggots, you're eating maggots, Michael. She can turn to dust and pass under the doorway. You know, and he can be Bill S Preston Esquire and explode. Yeah. But you have, I feel like you have a very consistent set of rules when it comes to a modern pop culture take on a vampire that everyone is aware of. So it really kind of gives the creator a leg up because you, you walk in going, okay, I know how vampires work and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, that saves a lot of time, but it also gives, you know, as we see in American vampire, it gives them a chance to maybe sort of subvert some of the bits and pieces of story or our vampires are a little different. I think that, I think that's what I kind of like about, what Snyder is doing in, in these two volumes specifically in volume one. Well, I just want to reference something. That's a huge spoiler for a very popular Netflix show right now. <laughs> okay, it. go ahead. Do, do it. it, do it. It's major okay. spoilers. Do it. Uh, if you want to see a really cool modern take on vampires, you have to watch midnight mass. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh yes. Uh, I agree. I, I, boy, I've got a lot of thoughts about that. You and I should have a long discussion about that perhaps next week in the pre-show. Okay. Um, great. Cause I have a funny sidebar about that, but I'll save it. <laughs> okay. All right. So until next week, yeah, here's what I like about Snyder's vampires. In volume one, he says, okay, you guys know the European vampire and you know all of that stuff from your your uh, Bram Stokers and all those other guys and you know about the stakes and the crosses and the holy water and all of that stuff. American vampires are different. They, they're, they're sun walkers, right? They can be out in the sun. They get weak when it's, a, when it's a, a new moon because there's no sun reflecting off the moon and giving them their energy. We don't know in volume one how you can kill an American vampire. In volume two, the story jumps from the 1920s to the 1930s to Las Vegas where they are building up um, the Hoover Dam and we're introduced to uh, Cash who is the sheriff there. And he's starting to investigate all these murders of the heads of the corporation who are building the Hoover dam. And cash McCogan, one of the greatest names that is, I really do like his name. And then we find out that he is the adoptive son or adopted son of a vampire himself, a different kind of vampire, an ancient vampire uh, of an ancient line that the European vampires had tried to wipe out a long time ago. And this guy may be one of the last where his, his adoptive father is one of the last vampires of that line. He only finds this out like at the end of the story, but at the same time, he and Pearl and Pearl's uh, boyfriend slash husband. I don't know what their relationship is at this point. I think they're married at this point. Friend. Um, yes. You know, Boy they man. have, they have to figure out how are they going to put an end to this monster that is killing everyone. And this is more of your ancient vampires, your people that can turn into actual bats type people Mm -hmm. running around. And so we get that going on in that story. And then when we jump into volume three, uh, the main story featuring, you know, Pearl's uh, husband, Henry is he gets sent to an Island off the coast of Japan because he hears that there is an infestation of, some kind of something there. And they think it's just regular vampires and they think, Oh, it's going to be easy to just go in and kill. And then Snyder is like, Oh no, remember we've already introduced two different types of vampires in volume one and volume two In volume three, we're going to introduce yet another type of vampire, which the world war two story in volume three feels just like you're in the middle of uh, what is it? Aliens three, the one where they're on the prison planet where, <laughs> you know, the, the place is just crawling with, with xenomorphs and should have done the wood planet. Yeah. And this is, this definitely feels like a xenomorph type vampire. I mean, you turn instantly within seconds of being bitten and you get a kind of a traditional world war two story in volume three, as far as the Pacific war. And then the American vampire survival of the fittest. The second story in volume three is let's go and fight old fashioned, uh, European German Nazi vampires. Um, and introduce, you know, a potential cure for vampirism. And so I just, 
define the fact that we're introduced to these different types of vampires in these three volumes is kind of fascinating. It just kind of says, Hey, you don't have to tell a story with just the traditional vampire that, you know, and I think that's what really sells it. You know, when you have a title as evocative as American vampire, you can really go anywhere with it. And that's kind of the good part of this. And that's also the downside of it because, you know, in, in a lot of ways, um, we see similar things going on with Hellboy and also Atomic Robo, where, mm-hmm. you know, we're going through long spans of time, or we're in the case of Hellboy jumping back and forth from decade to decade. But, you know, I, my weird thing was by the end of volume three, they're like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's aging, but I'm like, it, it didn't necessarily feel like visually they were selling it for me. If oh, I, uh, I, Henry, Henry's aging yeah. her husband. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause Henry's a human person. Right. Right. And then of course, you know, I really enjoyed, uh, the nightmares that came from the, what were they? The vassals of the, of the Rolling Stone. Yeah. No. So there's, so volume two introduces the vassals, which is a monster hunting organization, vampire hunting organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Pearl gets wrapped up in and Henry gets wrapped up in and, yeah. and, um, somebody's daughter, I forget whose daughter it is, gets wrapped up in. Yeah. Uh, and then they show up and they're like, ah, evil vampires in Japan, mm-hmm. Taipan, actually, mm-hmm. I guess, but yeah. still. Yeah. I, hmm. So hmm. one of the things that we discuss and we look at atomic robo, atomic robo is an outsider. How does he cope with being this? We look at right. something like Iron Giant, where the Iron Giant was de- designed to be a weapon and he chooses not to be a weapon. I think the interesting thing, and maybe Ashley, I don't know if you'll agree with this or disagree with this, and that's fine. But it feels like Pearl is deciding, I'm not going to be the monster. I'm going to be good. I'm not just going to go kill people. And we see that that ar- that kind of argument being played out through many of the characters who are being turned or threatened to turn into vampires. Do I just become this ghoulish monster that kills people without remorse, a la uh, Skinner Sweet, or can I be better? Can I can I go against my programming? Yeah, that's a that's a tried and true trope of every vampire story, and I'm always like, I don't know, man, like kill someone and live forever. <laughs> What's not to love? Oh, so we know who's going to be drinking the vial of blood without hesitation. Dude, sure. if you if I could live forever and I had to eat someone like everyone's, I I would absolutely do it. <laughs> like, really? Like, if this were no, Lost Boys, Ashley dudes. would be the little eight year old kid running around going. Blah, blah. I wonder, Ashley, would would you just? Um, I think the idea of immortality and never aging—that's the thing that I think uh, appeals to someone that's my age and Matthew's mm-hmm. age. Uh, I think that that part is is um, is fascinating, and the immortality issue I think is also fascinating. Matthew and I were just recently talking about Sandman and, and uh, Hob Gadling. Um, I don't know if I would be willing to kill to make that happen. That would, that would be that part where I, I wonder if my own morality or my own personal line would be drawn, but maybe, well, I mean, in pretty much all vampire stories. Yeah. They, they, they fight like against it's that. A bit, it's, it's a bit beyond, right. It's like that predator mm-hmm. instinct. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so I wonder in, you don't, but if you don't grapple with the morality, there's no story. Like I get it. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, uh, I don't know, I man, mean, they're bad people like go full. If we're supposed to be able to empathize with Dexter Morgan, cause he only, yeah. Cause I don't. People, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, know, you, you can get into that Hannibal King thing where Hannibal King, you know, didn't, uh, consume and didn't fall into his bloodlust, but the only people that he killed were people what needed killing. Well, see, that was yeah. going to be the question for you, Ashley. It depends is, on the rules of the universe, too, right? Like, can does bag blood work? Does it have to be a fresh kill? Can you eat an animal? Like, you know. Well, nah, and we see that right. we see that with Pearl, right? I mean, instead mm-hmm. of feeding and going and killing someone, when she and Henry are getting it on, he's like, "Bite me!" And so there's a little yeah. bit of a king factor going on as well uh, there, perhaps. Uh, but you know, Pearl gets her blood from Henry. She feeds off of him but not mm-hmm. to the point where she's going to kill him. And certainly mm-hmm. she offers to turn him, but he's all the time saying no, 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 no. And so I wonder just uh, like uh, chilling adventures of Sabrina, where in order to bring her boyfriend back, which turned out horribly, she has to go and kill somebody life for a life. And she's like, well, I'm going to go kill somebody who deserves it. Would you be mm-hmm. one of those that is like, Oh, I'm just going to kill people that deserve it. And, and by deserve it, how do you define who deserves it and who doesn't? Deserve yeah, it? sure. I mean, it'd be really easy. 
uh, are you guilty of rape? I'll eat you. Easy peasy. There you go. No problem. You turn the, you turn the trope of uh, what, uh, the meaning behind vampires on its head by going after the, the rapists. There you go. What about you, Matthew? Would you be willing to go so far as to, uh, to go kill somebody in order to have all the powers of the vampire? That's a complex question for me because, you know, on the one hand, I'm a lifelong devotee of your escapist fiction and having the whole superpowers. But on the other hand, uh, you know, one of the underlying keystones, uh, that doesn't make any sense from an architectural perspective, but, you know, rhetorically, an underlying keystone of those stories is yes, don't kill. But I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing to imagine because on the one hand, um, you know, people are like, would you want to live forever? And I'm like, you can't prove that I'm not. Uh, so for, that's the plan is to live I mean, forever. And we only got to wait another, what, five years. <laughs> and I Matthew says, I don't know very often. I, Matthew doesn't think that I, uh, can't find humor in, in death, but there you go. Um, <laughs> what? I, anyway, I think yeah. it's funny. Yeah, you think a lot of things are funny, but what it really comes down to for me is it's going to be a matter of, as Ashley said, um, I feel like there are situations where I could justify certain people getting bit and being, you know, left mm-hmm. in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't have necessarily a whole lot of, of terrible qualms about that because in as much as I love your Superman stories, I also read a lot of judge dread. So I think what it would really honestly come down to is a question of what kind of superpowers and would I live forever mm-hmm. And would I live forever exactly well, as I am? Pearl, Cause you know, Pearl seems to be, yeah, I think there's a somewhere in, I don't, I think it's in one of these books. Maybe I was watching another vampire thing. Probably. Oh, I think it was midnight mass. Spoiler alert yep. for midnight mass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where you become, as you start to turn, you start to go back to your ideal self. Yeah. So you would, you know, you would go back to, you know, a teenage version of Matthew. Uh, <laughs> which is like, you know, Matthew only without the beard. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it would be your idealized self, right? So if you're old and have Alzheimer's and you become a vampire, you will be young again without the Alzheimer's. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely midnight mass. Sorry. Spoiler alert, everybody. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I just I, had that spoiled for me, which is why I was like, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But have you watched it? Have you watched feel- midnight mass? Yeah, but it okay. was spoiled for me before, the, like, it oh, doesn't okay. reveal in episode one. So. No, 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 no. It was no. not yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's that's also something that you have to take into account. You know, when you have a story like this one, especially a story that's trying as hard as it can to fit these wild, you know, esoteric kind of arcane concepts into a mostly realistic framework and a world that feels mm-hmm. like our world. Yeah. Sometimes it is hard because you have to you have to have an explanation of why doesn't everybody know who Skinner Sweet is? Yes, or right. Why hasn't everybody seen you know a giant winged vampire? Come, everybody isn't seats? a vampire, right? If vampires have right. to feed every twenty eight oh, days, right. how come are they moving every five years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is right. the old west; it's harder to recognize mm-hmm. people. They're not on Instagram. Yeah, right. I'm very interested. I'm very interested to read American Vampire 1976, the most recent series. To see how, if they discuss the how, does, well, Skinner Sweet is dead at the end of volume three. Spoiler alert. Uh, maybe. Question mark. Spoiler alert for like a 10 year old book. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's a comic book. So I'm, I'm interested in to see how these characters move through time and how they're able to hide. Like in the case of, of Pearl and Henry, they just go live out in rural America and just keep right. to themselves and don't, you know, get involved in stuff until stuff comes their way and they have to get involved or until, you know, the vampire hunter society Cattle comes crashes in. into their cornfield. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Uh, you do the hop gadling thing where, yeah. you know, you, you leave town and your, your younger son, comes yeah, your back son comes back and comes into town. Yeah. I, I think that would work. Um, the thing that got me a little concerned was in volume three, uh, I'm especially when we're like, oh, we're going to go fight in the Pacific. And I'm like, please don't make these racist Asian vampires, which they didn't. Right. right? They went a totally different direction on that. But then when right. I started to read survival of the fittest, I'm like, oh, Nazi vampires. Ooh, is this going to be like really, really bad, like a bad take on, on this. But I think, I think Snyder and, and Raphael Albuquerque did it right in portraying the Nazi vampires as just 
horrible, horrible. Mm-hmm. There's nothing redeeming in here. Yeah. And I think that definitely is a pothole that they, I worried about it too, but I think they avoided it pretty well. And part of it, especially when you kill them all. That, right. Yeah. Right. Well, I think part of it is the fact that honestly, uh, and, until the last few years, uh, vampires actually had, you know, better press than your Nazis. So <laughs> yeah. I feel like, you know, killing the, the Nazis in this story, that's one thing. If they're vampire Nazis, you're like, Hey, two reasons to kill somebody. But you also do have that question of, is it going to work when you're tying together the reality, you know, of what happened in world war two with this story that, is based on a lot of, you know, mythology and mm-hmm, things that mm-hmm. go bump in the night. And I feel like they did a good job. I, I still don't feel like a hundred percent like American vampire takes place in the world that I know. Yeah. In the quote unquote real world. Yeah. Well, there's no such thing as the real world. Just a lie. We got to rise above, but more importantly, I feel like there are moments in here that are definitely, okay, this is an alternate universe. And that again, that's fine. But, you know, you do get to a point where those real world elements can really break apart a story like this. And they don't here. Yeah, because I think they keep it just fanciful enough. Right. They kind of keep it Indiana Jones ish where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we're in a castle somewhere up in the mountains and we're not having to deal right. with the horrors of what the Nazis did to to Jews right. and to homosexuals. And so we that's not addressed in this story. It's just like. There's a secret weapon and we must go get it. And, you know, it turns out to be they're all Nazi vampires and the gun is a light gun and we can kill all the Nazi vampires by by this. And oh, by the way, we uncover yet another ancient type of uh, vampire that comes up and slaughters everybody and then disappears. And, this one's and so half it, snake and it lives in the toilet and it goes boogity, boogity, boogity. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, old matinee kind of story being going on in here. And so it doesn't feel like we have to really deal with the weight of, you know, Nazis as, as horrible people in real life. And that, you know, that is good. But then you also do have, you know, two or three issues that are just full to the brim with, you know, swastikas and flags and people festooned with entire full SS uniforms. And so, you know, that's all there. And I feel like they did a good job of not making that seem way cool, which I think is some of the problems that you get into. Um, But, you know, I feel like the focus is really on the monstrous monsters and not the human monsters, which, Mm -hmm. you know, works here. And it's not overshadowed by the presence of real world human monsters, which. Yeah. 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 And, And looking at when survival of the fittest first came out, October of 2016. So, you know, we're right in, in that right time period point where we just needed to start punching Nazis. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I, I like, I like the story of Pearl. I like her story. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy that. The vassal organization and the, uh, cash and the girl who is a descendant of the, uh, bounty hunter, the marshal that went out and brought Skinner sweet down Van the Helsing. first time, not Van Helsing. Yes. Uh, I ben like Helsing. I like her, I like her story enough, but I don't like it as much as I like Pearl's story. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see where the story goes next. Um, what comes up in the next volumes just to see what happens overall, though, I kind of enjoyed this story. I really like Raphael Albuquerque's art. Uh, he's a big, uh, a big fan of his ever since going back to blue beetle days when I first discovered him. Um, Personal. so what's that? You personally discovered him. Brian. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I discovered him. That's why I said when I discovered him, um, I, I like, I like this book. I like this series. I would probably read it some more. And I think in the Halloween spirit, uh, if you are looking for some vampire tales to read and you haven't ever read American vampire and you need, you know, 18 issues, 25 issues of comics to read, you really couldn't go wrong with, with these three volumes. I don't really have anything that I can complain too much about them. Uh, so my they, bottom line is, is go check them out. Matthew, what about you? They don't read like 25 issues. Of no, comics. they don't. They no. read quick. They read smooth. And, you know, there are some changes in art. Uh, at, at one point, Sean Murphy, and I'm not sure if he's just in Survival of the Fittest, but Sean Murphy is doing the art. But it's not like a major change. 
from your Albuquerque. And I think there's at least one Raphael grandpa issue in here, but I may be crazy. Um, but the main thing for me is that they maintain their own, their own fiction. Basically. I never had a point where I immediately went up. Ah, that's unbelievable. And eh, we're done here. Um, it's not necessarily a comic book that I would have ever sought out. I mean, people have been talking about American vampire in my orbit since it came out 15, 20, whenever it came out, I don't know, mm -hmm. but you know, this is enjoyable. This is well crafted. This is well drawn. And I think that in a worst case scenario, you're going to have, you know, a good scary tale that'll kill an afternoon for you. So, I mean, if that's the worst you get, especially at this price point, I think you're doing good. Oh yeah. Ashley, uh, does vampire Ashley have a preferred blood type? Vamp Ashley is her name. Um, would you go for like the O blood? O blood is just so good. It's like, ah, it's the unifying blood. Are you like, what's no, the, only one is the, a blood. Whichever a, one is the most, um, common, I think is your move. Type oh, yeah, A, uh, is most common. It tastes like marzipan or so I've heard, um, your B positive tastes a little bit more like Brussels sprouts. So, Ashley, what's your, what's your final thought on this? <laughs> um, I think this book, I think a lot of the heavy lifting on this book as often happens with horror comics, um, is on the strength of the artist. Mm -hmm. I think the story is solid, but I think if you, uh, like me went through a vampire phase in high school and did a lot of reading, I don't think you're going to be like super surprised by anything here. Um, so if you're like a die hard vampire person, I'd say skim it for the art. If you're just looking for something kind of spooky season, uh, there's a lot worse vampire comics in this. It reads quickly. It's fun. Um, and it's pretty accessible. So I think it's solid. All right. There you go. American vampire volume two and volume three links in the show notes. If you want to buy these again, I talk about the comiXology Amazon affiliate link. Uh, but seriously, if you're wanting to buy some comics, digital or physical copies, uh, you use that link. It's not going to cost you anything else. Yes, you're giving your money to Jeff Bezos. But in return, we're kind of reaching our little sticky fingers into Jeff Bezos's wallet and coming out with a few uh, dollars and maybe a few pennies uh, so that we can keep this show going. So if you're into those kinds of things and you want to buy some comics, that's one way to help us out. And uh, and thank you for that. And that's where we're going to wrap it up this issue. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience. As always, we love your feedback, even though we don't drink wine. So join the rest of the cool kids at the Major Sports Discord server to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode, blah. Or drop us an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com and you might hear your words on an upcoming episode. And don't forget, you can support the show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. We are going to be back next week. Oh, we maybe have some Eternals stuff coming your way. Ooh, why would we be talking about the Eternal Eternals? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Bad Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler 
major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.